0: Before you is a painting. It depicts some sort of a contraption. An orange and white striped ball has a smaller orange and white ball strapped to its top. The larger ball is suspended on a thin metal arm. The arm is supported by a rope that is run through two pulleys and has a weight at the other end, like that found in a grandfather clock. The entire thing is on a pole that sits below the parapet of some sort of balcony, or is it an alcove? It could be either, since behind the contraption is a starry sky, a distant landscape, with a small castle and a sailboat on a calm lake. Is this a painting of a painting? A riddle in a picture. Or does it doesn't make sense, depending on how you frame it. Today on the How You Frame It podcast, we have artist Richard Witten. He grew up in Manhattan, New York. He does all kinds of art. His process can go all the way from sketch, sculpture, preliminary painting, big painting, to even mural. But when he was growing up, he enjoyed tournament fishing and flying model airplanes. Not only did he enjoy them, but he excelled at them. Everything Witten talks about throughout this episode is described both emotionally by him and also logistically. The way he describes the planes flying really sets the stage for how he came into doing the art he does today. You'll find out that he was an economics major, but also took a lot of art classes. His dad was a broker, and his mom was a painter. The duality of this and that and this and that, marrying them together, you get Richard Witten. So, sit back, relax, and whatever you like to do while listening to podcasting, do it and enjoy the show and enjoy yourself. Thank you. Today on the How You Frame It podcast, we have artist Richard Witten. Richard is an accomplished painter with his works represented by both galleries and museums around the world. Richard describes his paintings as intellectual play. Richard notes, intellectual play, in my opinion, is not only the basis of learning, but is also synonymous to fascination and delight. These paintings are meant to be games or toys in themselves. The challenge for the viewer is, without knowing the rules, to propel the image into motion with sight and thought alone. From mastering illusions in painting to making real-world sculptures, Richard is framing art in his own way. So welcome to a space wo- where all art is inclusive, accessible, and meaningful, no matter how you frame it. Please enjoy my interview with artist Richard Witten. Welcome, Richard. Hi, how are you?
1: Thanks for having me, Bridgette.
0: Yeah, thanks for spending your Saturday with us.
1: Oh, No problem. Um, so I believe uh, we should start with how I began. And um, I was born in 1958, and I'm 62, which is really kind of amazing to me, because I feel (laughs) like I'm about 30. But (laughs) I ache a little bit more, but I feel more like I'm 30. Um,
0: What does it feel like to be 30, then?
1: Oh, there's just so much to do, and -hmm. there's just a lot of energy that I have to put into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's see. I am the child of a German-American father and a Chinese mother. Um, and I think that it was a, and I'm an only child. And so it was a bit of an isolating uh, beginning. Um, my parents, my father was disinherited and my mom was separated by distance and she really didn't want to go back to China. Um, I will mention that um, m- my father was scheduled to go back to China. He was going to do some um, some work there, um, but my mother refused. And I asked my dad once, um, did, did you actually ever resent the fact that she sort of stopped your, your career cold? And he said, oh, no, because, you know, all the other guys got caught by the communists and executed. So oh um, <laughs> I think that was, that was actually a good thing <laughs> that your mom did. I would say um, so. But, in I, I, because I was somewhat isolated, and I was an intelligent kid, um, I was really free to do anything. In New York, I grew up in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, New York was just wonderful. I Manhattan kids are very adult. Um, I was out walking around the city, basically at 12 to 13, when I was 12 or 13, <laughs> finding bookstores in the Lower East Side. Um, and... I followed my pursuits, and one of the things that I started with at the beginning was I was interested in how things moved. Um, I had a strange, uh, my students say, Richard, why are you into such niche hobbies? Um, <laughs> but um, like tournament fishing and, 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 uh, and, uh, and flying model airplanes. And so I flew model, indoor model airplanes, and these are extremely, delicate technical things um, 65 centimeter wingspans which is you know about 24 inches and um, and they weighed actually what what it was was that the minimum requirement for their weight was one gram which is a 28th of an ounce and mm-hmm. and the reason why that was a minimum was that we could build it down to a seven tenths of a gram um, and they were they flew off a rubber band and um, a very special rubber band but uh, we were getting times over half an hour off one rubber band and um, most of my competitors were Caltech professors, aerodynamic engineers and um, MIT professors and so I was a teenager and competing with all of these people in their 40s and um, and I was okay, but it was that was that was the way my life went. It was very different, um, but these things went up into these big spaces. We flew in dirigible hangars, we flew um, in large ornate buildings, um, and they just flew up with this beautiful slow um, counterclockwise circle. Um, their propellers went at less than one revolution per second, and it just was gorgeous to me. Um, I love the building. I love the technical ability. And um, I love the motion in the architecture. And that architecture comes back later because I was an economics and math major when I was an undergrad. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So I have that ability. And I still do think in social studies sort of ways. But um, I also took a lot of art. Um, mm-hmm. I took seven courses when I was an undergrad, so all the professors knew me, and when I told them that I wanted to stick around for another couple years and remake an art undergrad, they were okay (laughs) with it, and what was even better was, although I don't know whether I should say this, they all said, Richard, you don't need to pay, just stick in our courses because we really like having you, (laughs) and you really only need our recommendation and, and your portfolio.
0: What, what made you want to go explore that during that time period?
1: Um, well, actually, I'd always been involved with art. Um, my mm-hmm. parents had um, paints ready for me when I was three. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I believe that we had gone on a trip on the um, uh, Staten Island Ferry. And a big storm came out. And I came home and I just sort of pulled out the paints and went at it and did a <laughs> storm painting. My mom was a painter. My dad wanted to be an aerodynamic engineer, but he was a commodity futures broker. Not a great broker, because he always really wanted to be uh, an engineer. But, <laughs> and then I really wanted to be an artist, but I didn't think it was that s- serious a job. Mm-hmm. And, and I had one of my professors who just said, and he was from Manchester, England, so working, working in community, he said, Richard art is good hard work and that has stuck with me because it is good hard work and you work at it every day and it isn't something um, as a newspaper would call it fluffy and it has been really a joy to just keep working so i I started working on with the professors then I rented a studio out and then I moved back to New York and I didn't know what to do with myself because I didn't have a trade. And all I knew how to do was I knew how to work on the commodity exchange. And, and so I did that for a while. And I tell my students, you know, I, I painted every night. And at the end of the day, or actually sometimes in the morning, I would draw my painting in a little, little notebook that would fit into a three-piece suit. And I would take the subway down, and I would draw on the subway, and then I would draw on the way back. And I would have something to start work on in the evening. And the paintings would change and change and change. And eventually, I was really burnt out. I was showing in Soho at this time. And I was a broker. And it was too much. I was torn torn in two just physically. And I said, well, I guess it's time for grad school. And I put business behind me. And I've never really looked back. And went to grad school at UC Davis. I actually, I'll bring something up here. I had been a visitor to the Allen Stone Gallery all the time. Oddly enough, and totally coincidentally, I had gone out with the daughter of Allen Stone's assistant. Okay. And... And she's and I liked her mother actually better than her, but um, I mean not in the, not in the, not not the bad sense, I know what you're but in, I know what uh, you're and so you know I, I totally lost <laughs> contact with the daughter, but I stayed friends with the mother because I would go to the gallery and sit and and chat, and Alan Stone would actually always look at my work and continue to give me a crit like once a month, and mm-hmm. I was reading. The Sunshine Muse by Peter Plagents about the Bay Area Figurative Movement. And okay. there was Wayne Tebow in the gallery because he showed with Ellen Stone. And, and I was like so impressed. And that, and as I was thinking about grad schools, I asked one of my teachers, and I have to say this is a wonderful thing about teachers. Her name was Gretna Campbell. I said, can you, you know, she, she recommended different schools. And one of them was UC Davis. And and I said, can you give me a recommendation? She said, yes, I'll have it for you in two weeks. And I said, okay. well, you know, Retina, it's March, and it's not due till January. Why are you doing this now? And, and she said, Richard, you don't know? I'm dying. Hmm. And uh, she wrote the, she wrote the um, recommendation, and she died about six weeks later.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. And it was a beautiful oh. recommendation. It was really quite wonderful. But that just shows what a teacher can
0: be. It's a gift. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. So anyway.
0: Do you think she was part of the reason you wanted to become a teacher yourself in the end?
1: She was. I think that that was one. But all of my teachers Mm -hmm. were very important then. Mm Samia Hallaby was. uh, Graham Campbell was. um, Mm -hmm. Those were the days when you looked at teachers and you thought they were kind of gods. They were all strong artists in themselves. And and you really respected them, and that was, and to have one say something wonderful about you was just amazing, amazing. So I went out to UC Davis, and it was a different thing. I didn't want to stay on the East Coast. I wanted to have an adventure, learn to ride a bicycle, and actually you also have to did, when you're there. I know thirty thousand bicycles, fifteen thousand people, or something like that.
0: I know. Uh, I would walk around near the roundabout on the first day. Oh.
1: Oh yeah <laughs> yeah. It's. Traffic did you, and did you go as an undergrad? No. Oh, okay.
0: no, my husband went there for his doctorate, but I was just, you know, hanging out, always it walking was, around, always visiting the galleries. Loved it. Yeah.
1: It was dangerous to actually walk across the street it in was. between class times. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I gotta run. But it was a terrific time period. I mean, the the student body was ter- was incredible. We you know the percentage of artists. That stay after being stay artists after being grad students is low, and Mm -hmm. I know about fifty percent of my class are still pretty active. Well, more than pretty active, very active, and um, so that's that's really important. And it was a terrific two years. And then I moved back to New York and taught for a year. I taught, uh, I taught at a school where they knew they knew my abilities. I taught math, I taught art, and I coached wrestling. And I found out that they had given me, you know, fifty percent in each area. So I was actually a hundred for fifty percent person for twelve thousand a year, and <laughs> and um, I moved back to California and to Davis and um, did get a connection with um, Mintra Wilcox Gallery in San Francisco, and then started to look at the CAA, which is the way that you become a teacher. And you can see that um, I'm following the track of the professional artist. And I went to Penn State. At Penn State, I met a one-year teacher, and she was terminal, essentially, and couldn't stay. And so I thought, oh, I'll move with her, and I'll get another job really quickly. And that didn't turn out to be the same, you know. I actually was in Rhode Island for about 14 years before I came full-time at um, Rhode Island College. Mm -hmm. And during that time period, I still did have um, a one-person show at the Newport Art Museum and then at the Fry Art Museum in Seattle. And so I've been something bi-coastal. I show on both coasts, and recently I've gotten a gallery that is New York and Seoul, Korea. Wow. I haven't... Quite tapped into that yet. I was mm-hmm. going to last spring because um, I was going to have a, a one-month residency in in Seoul. But and my dealer said I'm going to rec- I'm going to introduce you to all these museum directors. It would have been great, but that just disappeared, and it's postponed till next, not this coming summer, but the one after. Okay, which is which is good. We discussed that and we said probably this spring wouldn't be,
2: mm.
1: wouldn't be good. No. And it isn't. I don't know whether we can even travel out there. Um, it did actually leave me with these extra tickets, and we didn't. my wife and I didn't know what to do with them. And so we said, let's go to Italy. We've got the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't do that either, so we, right. we eventually got a refund. <laughs> well, good,
2: good.
1: And that, that brings me up to now. I teach, and I'm painting. And I'm still I'm actively showing, and um, let's let's go from there.
0: Okay. Um, what's the cultural difference that you can feel between East Coast shows and West Coast shows? Oh. Or is there any um, difference?
1: As far as San Francisco or something goes, I don't think there's yeah. a real difference between East Coast and West Coast. But okay. once you're out of the big city, there is.
2: Mm.
1: Because I'm also associated with Natsulis John Natsulis mm-hmm. Gallery. And there's something, you know, John wants to have this all inclusive experience, jazz and art and poetry. and the yes. city and poetry. It's very different from a gallery that says, I'm gonna sell paintings.
0: That's true. It's really much experiences. more experiences.
1: Yeah, it, and it's it's fun. It 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 reminds me of, of the sort of total immersion that I had when I was a grad student. Although there's a very different total immersion here. In what I've been learning recently, and although I think my painting is still getting better and I think I'm still making the best paintings I've ever made, but what I've spent most of my time learning recently is exactly how to deal with the business, the business end, dealing with galleries, dealing with museums. Um, I have to say that I just was successful pitching a show to a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an idea... I met an artist about two years ago at a residency, and I thought that her work and my work really fit very nicely together. She was sculpture, I'm painting, uh, but we're both interested in the same kind of research, uh, a bit of history, both both are, are visually exciting. We thought that they were a cabinet of curiosities together, and that's how we cast it, that we would make a cabinet of curiosities, have our art and our reference materials the things that we collect and put them all together
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and here was the deal not only did we just send slides we sent we made a catalog ooh nice we made a catalog that could be opened two different ways so it was either my catalog or her catalog and then there was a part that was joint catalog we both had our own personal catalogs and our 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 images I think we proposed it to one museum, and within two weeks they said yes.
0: Wow, congratulations.
1: Thank you. And that was very exciting, because it, it it's never happened that way before. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, what I've done is I've gotten a museum to know of me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and eventually they suggest it and propose it and say, let's have the show. Mm-hmm. And and it's the standard show, the paintings and and whatever, sculpture, go up, and that's it. But this one, I got to choose the theme with the other artist, and it's going to go in just the way that we want. It's that's really kind of ama- amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And literally, I found out that we had gotten accepted yesterday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm still kind of jumping up and down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and when will this be? Do you know? Approximately.
1: No, I, I actually, I do know. Um, okay. It's fall 2023.
0: All right. From
1: September to December. Well, it actually—it's all pre-existing work.
0: So you don't have to make anything.
1: Uh, No, but I will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but even if I didn't make anything, it's all set, which is great.
0: Amazing. I'm sure they love that too.
1: Yeah, they always do. Yeah. And they—they do like the fact that you could fill a hole if they had one tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. They do enough space, right? Just literally, just the size. That's right. Do you um, so you've always shown in galleries? Is there any alternative ways that you've showed your work, or any alternative? I guess so. There's canvases, and you do a lot on ply. Is it plywood? Yeah, it's plywood. On plywood, um, any other surfaces that you've painted on? Like, I don't know. For some reason, I was thinking. A low rider would be cool, um, just because there's a lot of pinstriping on low riding, and you have a lot of line work like that. And I thought it would be delightful. Um, I'm just thinking.
1: Not really, but I mean, I have done murals.
0: Yes, I saw the one in Davis, right?
1: That's right. And <laughs> I was just talking to John yesterday because I'm proposing another one here in in Rhode Island. Yeah, that was a very enjoyable experience to, to do that. I've mm-hmm. done that. I, I've done that in different buildings, but I've never considered it part of my art repertoire. history. Yeah, yeah. repertoire. Um, <laughs> yeah. Until the one in Davis.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you saw that one. That's nice. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm glad.
0: It's so exciting. And it's the one... Can you tell me the name of that one? Or tell the the, Looking Glass. the name of that one. Yes, Looking Glass.
1: Yes, Looking Glass. It, it, I actually made a sculpture based on it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or... It was based on the sculpture, let's put it that way. Right. I found an old lorgnette, and um, actually what I what happened first is I found an antique costume set of eyes in, a gla- in glasses, and okay. I got rid of the, the wire glasses and found a lorgnette, and then mm-hmm. made a sculpture of the eyes looking back, and uh, put it into an archway, and so the painting actually is looking at you.
2: Right.
1: And then there's a, a little... Set of arches in the back, so there is a a nice architectural space which Mm -hmm. references all of those architectural spaces that I flew model airplanes in. And so there's there's all of that that comes back. I have to say about that um, mural, it was it took three days, which is
0: is that a a long time? I don't. It's not great, is it? I
1: guess it's not for a mural, but when I made the painting that it was based on. It was a month and a half. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's totally so, different. So, so when I was told you have three three days to do this, <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> I I said I I, I well, okay, fine. <laughs> Let Let's see where it goes. Um, wow! And it's a very different sort of set of expectations, though, mm-hmm. because you're. It's much rougher because mm-hmm. it it's meant to be seen from a greater distance and. It, mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't need the detail that I put into everything, um, right. that that I make for the gallery, where I paint everything with a triple zero or a quadruple zero brush, mm-hmm. and and this is this is this is really just putting it down there and then finding finding a way to make that that mark quickly,
0: right?
1: And everything's drying fast. That's that's really one good thing.
0: How many forms does this exist in? You have sketches, probably, right? And then you have sculptures. I have s-
1: sketches. I drafted out sculpture, preliminary painting, big painting, and then in this case, the mural. Great. Um, and some of my ideas, like working with a spiral staircase,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I did the initial drawing probably around 1990, and I think eight paintings have come off of that, that initial wow. drawing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I'm 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 a little conservative with my ideas. It's it's like if it's a good idea, I'll keep working it. Mm. I'd actually
0: So you don't throw anything away. I know some people are just like, That's behind me. Just can't go forward with it.
1: Well, I do I do sort of put it away, but then I look at it three years later and say, you know, I could do something else with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Or and the other thing too with is that I, I'll draw a lot of things in the notebook that I think are just awful. I'll get <laughs> ideas in the shower, or I'll get ideas like as I'm waking up, and I'll shove it down in the notebook as fast as possible, and look at it and say, "Oh well, that was that's an idea. <laughs> let's, let's let's move on." Um, but then every every once in a while, I'll go back through, and one of them will say to me, "Oh, you know, this is this is not a bad idea. I can do something with it. And I'll work this up."
0: So you're al- you're always thinking about the next thing. Would you say? Yeah,
1: here? I am, and. I know that you can't look around my ga- my studio here, but I'm working on about twenty five unfinished paintings right now, yeah. and I have drawings and also, unfortunately, proposals for another fifteen. <laughs> 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 you know, I've 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 got grants and residencies based on ten that I haven't even started.
0: And so, is this is and a you, show. That's incredible. How, is this how you normally? This is how you enjoy life. Do you do any? else for fun is this fun to you
1: this is fun yes. this is fun it mm-hmm. and what's what's brilliant about this life is that work is fun as opposed to work is drudgery right and I teach and I love my students and or most of them and um <laughs> and and I I I love seeing them develop and that's that's also fun and it's really kind of it's all part and parcel I have, have a you wife. always
0: thought like a teacher you think? Yes, or... I
1: I have. The first thing I ever taught, my math teacher, when I was a junior mm-hmm. in high school, had me teach BASIC, which is one of those early um, computer languages, that and Fortran, as a four-credit class to the freshman. So I taught that. Wow. I was later on asked to lecture on technical trading in commodity futures at at a, an institute in New York, yeah, I've always taught. I actually say that to, you don't really know what a thing is until you've taught it.
2: Mm.
1: So yeah, it is part of me. But yes, I have a wife, and I enjoy her, being with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy cooking with her. I also fish, uh, <laughs> and it's something I look forward to a lot. And and I'm learning it. I'm learning all about it. It's it. Because it's much more than, you know, you throw the line out and you wait for mm-hmm. the fish to come. It's, mm-hmm. it's all about learning about how the, the temperature in a lake changes, uh, where a fish will be. It, it is all catch and release. Mm-hmm. I know that that's a sticky subject. Some people are not in love with the idea of fishing, but it's, it's what you I do. You find it cathartic, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, it's intense.
0: Mm.
1: Actually, the time that you're out there, it's very intense. You've got, say, eight hours to work, and you're trying to figure out how best to find a fish.
0: Do you think that you're able to enjoy your time because you, you're you comfortable inside your own head? Because there's a lot of thinking time, right, with fishing? There is a lot
1: of, yeah, there is. Although I have to say that I'm not thinking about painting at that time. Mm. I am really thinking about where to put the next cast mm. and and what I should be using. But it's the same kind of, of, of problem solving. And, and you can see what it is. I think my paintings are all about having multiple variables that I need to, to, to solve. And all of a sudden you see, oh, Rich is talking in math talk. <laughs> and so, yeah, I do, I do think that way. I think somewhat analytically. But it doesn't mean that I'm thinking formulaically. I mean, to me, painting is, I don't know, a religion replacement. It, it's incredibly important to me. It upsets me when art is misused.
0: How could art be misused, misused? Ignored. Mm.
1: Ignored, thought to be trivial.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Because you see, to me, the fact that we make something that's essentially useless is incredibly important. The fact that the human being can conceive of something and make something beautiful, because. I'm, I'm old-fashioned that way. I still work with the word beautiful. I mean, and beauty, you know, is useless. You can't eat it. You can't sleep with it. You can't procreate. It, it's, it's something that is greater than us. And the fact that we can make it is, is just something that makes me say, this is the most worthwhile endeavor of the human. And, and to be very honest, I include in artistry something like a research medical person, a scientist, all of that, because it's, it's really about putting something together and and finding out or making something that just wasn't there before.
0: Okay, yeah. thank you. You're thank welcome. you for breaking that down. And I actually wrote down a question about beauty because I did listen to one of your interviews, and you said beautiful, and I was like, oh, that really stuck out to me. What What is beautiful to you, and what – what is the be- can you identify the beauty within your own paintings?
1: Okay, that's that's good. Nobody ever asks that question because everybody ignores the word beautiful. Uh, that's <laughs> terrific. To me, something that's beautiful is something that is intense and something that moves a person. And it doesn't have to be. It's certainly different from pretty, hmm. because if we think about it in writing. Tragedies can be beautiful. I mean Goya paintings that that painting of 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 the person being shot is a beautiful painting and actually also a very good political painting because it is also beautiful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To me, it's more than just putting a political slogan up. it is it is an image that will last for history as opposed to being in the case of a slogan, something that will be forgotten because we won't really re- understand the context you know 20 years from now students students don't know who richard nixon is students don't know anything from you know pre
0: 1990 pre internet
1: or pre internet that's true age. that's true books are something that is a little strange to them it bothers me that you know you ask them to look at an artist, they look at their phone and they're done with it. But okay, but, but getting back to beauty.
0: Have you thought, because I know you asked me once, you're like, have you seen my paintings in person? I said, no. And you're like, that's a shame. And it's true. Um, are you? How do you feel about then making, there's a lot of virtual reality type stuff now. And if you had made yours three-dimensional on the phone or on a computer, how would you feel about that?
1: I've experimented with, the technology. I remember when it first came out. I said, "Oh, um, there was there was a program called Upfront, and I said this would be interesting because I can cast shadows. It, it's nothing like Maya or, um, or or the programs that are being used now. I've looked at my students' work because we have a digital design program, and although I probably shouldn't say this, but all the painters and all the printmakers and all of us look at it and say." It's not there yet mm. it it looks empty it look it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't move us the same way that a painting or a good piece of handmade art it does. It might once it might in the future. it is certainly so much better than mm. the 1970s when when we first started having computer art. Um, right. I think the change will be when we are not limited by people who Make this the software. Right. Because even Photoshop, is, and I use it a huge amount, it's dependent upon the way that Photoshop thinks.
0: Which makes it limiting.
1: And yeah. I find that limiting. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I want to go back to that uh, question of, the, of beauty. Sure. And yes. what I find beautiful in any work is that it's interesting and intellectually stimulating and and that then there's some sort of undescribable thing that also moves me. Um, and it can be intellectual. It doesn't have to be narrative. It can be anything like light or a color relationship, and that's what I find to be profound. And To go back to being a teacher, it's something that the students have to discover that profundity can be very small. It doesn't have to be a huge statement. It doesn't have They don't have to shake the world. In fact, what they have to do is they have to work on this idea and master it. And you really, I have to say that you can't master saving the world in one painting. Mm. You can try, I suppose, but oftentimes it comes out, it doesn't have the profundity that something that's just simple
2: Mm.
1: would have. Um, Something that makes you realize that life can be beautiful. I actually showed an artist not too long ago named Martha Alf. For for the whole of her life, she painted one to four pairs in every painting. It was like one pair alone, or four pairs on, on the canvas, three together and one apart. And you can see the psychological aspects, but they were also so beautifully painted. The light was gorgeous, and it was, and it's fascinating for my students to to think. Gosh, this person spent her whole life painting pears. And and she found it to be enough. And, and even more interesting, other people did too. Mm. And so, yeah, beauty is something about interest and emotion.
0: And what about, I guess, you never really answered about your own paintings. Where's the, where did, where's the beauty in there for you? How did you incorporate beauty?
1: They're interesting to me. The idea of finding something that can seem to move, it excites me to, to, to have that. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the connection to um, the past, the Renaissance past, um, that's also exciting, that also moves me. The joy of making it, but actually I have to say that the joy of making it is only for me. Mm. I'm not entirely sure that that necessarily translates to to the viewer. So I can't really count that in 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 beauty for me. It is that I am hoping to share with a viewer some idea about like making an object that can move, making an object that talks about history, making an object that suggests another another world that is beautiful. There is there's a movie that was very important to me. It's a French movie called um, Orphe by Jean Cocteau. Okay. And it's about, oh, a poet who has midlife crisis. And and it's set in post-World War II France. And he essentially falls in love with death. It's the Orpheus myth. And um, he finds that death comes and goes through the mirrors. Because as they say, every time you look at the mirror, you see death at work. Mm. And there is a moment when um, one of Death's assistants teaches him that he can pass through a mirror. And he literally passes his hand through the mirror and he walks into another world. And in those days, because it was a 1954 movie, it was actually a pool of mercury that he stuck his hand into. Yes, luckily a, a rubber glove, but... Right, but, risky. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, see, you see him pass his hand into this mirror, and then you also have a shot of him walking out of the frame into the frame of the mirror. And then you see a shadowy image of him in the other world from our world. Okay. And that passage is exactly what I want the viewer to have when they look at the work. I want them to see the the thing as an object because they are not square. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's
1: very intentional. They are objects, yes, which creates a physical presence in the room with them. Mm -hmm. And then then I want them to see that some things seem to come out of the painting into our world and then that they could possibly stick their hand in or walk into that, that painting and play with the things that I've put there and then possibly go... Pass that into the areas that I, I are around the corners that I, have, that I haven't described. And that world is fascinating, beautiful, seductive, everything that I want my paintings to talk to people about. And that's beautiful. That's how I'm defining beauty in my work. All right. Because I think that every work has a different definition of beauty. Although there is that thing that holds it together, interest and emotion.
0: Yes. Do you always, I notice because you want the viewer to interact so... It's like one of your intentions, right? When you're making it, you don't ever include human figures. I think the glasses, the eyes kind of startled me from the mural because I was like, oh, there's sort of a a human there. Is it me? Is it a reflection? Is it something on its own, its own entity? Um, You have an elephant in one and then you have most recently some mice or depictions of mice. They're not actually there, but
1: yeah. Well, they're toy mice. Toy mice, yeah. Yeah. And it's a toy elephant.
0: Toy elephant. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. There's no actual, like,
1: you know. Right. Everything's inanimate.
0: Right. That's the word, yeah. Inanimate.
1: That's actually a very important word. Um, Even though I don't speak Chinese, I know that pronouns, essentially, in Chinese are either animate or inanimate. There's no he, she, Mm. which is interesting. Mm. And the question, and a painting is inanimate. How do you get a painting, which is inanimate, to feel Mm -hmm. animate? Mm. And that's, that's something I've been trying to do. It, and part of it is to imply motion. Imagine that you're walking along, and this is a typically northeast analogy, so just bear with it. Sure. Um, yeah. A late fall country road at night. Mm-hmm. And there's a little breeze, and all of a sudden you hear skitter, 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 skitter. And you see something moving around the path or, or along the road. And it could be a leaf blown in the wind, or it could be a mouse, or it could be something. But the fact that you see it and your eye tracks it, moves from one side to another, that's, that's what makes you think that it could be alive.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: what makes you think something is alive when your eyes track it. And so that's kind of what I want to hap- have happen in my, my images. I want your eyes to track and move through it and therefore feel like it's alive. Mm. I discovered this because a friend of mine, West Coast painter, April Funky, had made a little still life of a potato and a bottle. And the bottle was slightly off to the left and the potato was slightly off to the right, but they weren't the same size and they balanced each other out in this very strange way. And my eyes kept moving back and forth between the bottle and potato, red potato, and um, <laughs> and I realized that's what it is. That's what makes this painting feel like it's alive. Mm. And I also that's why teachers tell you don't stick stuff in the middle, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs>
1: because what happens is that you don't move your eyes through right, the page. Travel. That's right. It's it's perfectly fine if it's an icon, and I understand mm-hmm. that, and I, I use that in my my paintings too,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because then you look at it you contemplate it for a long time and it becomes a different kind of experience and i think of the paintings as icons too i mean i they are my little temples mm-hmm. uh, i had a title once be early on it was the temple of delight and to me the, the joy that i have in this and you know like the beauty of it and that's delight to me
0: okay yeah i feel like when i'm looking at one of your paintings my my eyes are like moving back and forth, like a metronome. I'm just like, or like a cat, like watching something. And I'm just like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I love it. It's really, really fun.
1: Interesting that you say the cat, because you know I have my cat too. And <laughs> and she's right actually sitting next to me. I don't <laughs> and there have been cats in my paintings. Okay. Did you? Yeah. Or or any. at least um, the image of a cat.
0: Is that why there's mice though? Are yes. they related? Yeah.
1: yeah. There's one where the cat chases the mouse, and it, and it's the machine that um, turns. And so it's like Ooh, a yeah. cat first, and a mouse, then a cat and a mouse, and a cat and a mouse.
0: I love it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see where we are on time. Okay. So maybe just a little bit more. Is there anything that you would like to, um, to say? We've had people in the past, you know, say hi to my wife, or they'll be like, oh, I wanted to talk about this person a long time ago. Is there anything that's important to you that you would like to share?
1: Well- I You know, something that I talked with about with you earlier is that art has different sort of meanings for people. And I think in terms of location, you asked me about West Coast and East Coast, and I don't make that differentiation quite as much as city and out of the city. Because when you're part of the city, and I chose not to be in Manhattan, partly because I knew that I could afford things a bit better, but and that's where jobs were. They aren't all in Manhattan. But I wanted to live life. And artists who are very purely professional. And I know that I talked a whole lot about like the professional aspect of being being an artist and the job. But but I I find that the artists in New York are are rabidly <laughs> professional, and 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 so driven that it hurts their lives a lot. Now, they may love it, and I, I'm sorry, pe- people will probably say, Richard, you can't say that. But um, but I enjoy the fact that I I can breathe a bit away from Manhattan. People look at me that live in Vermont and say, Richard, you live in the center of the world. You live in Rhode Island. And it's like, well, <laughs> so. It depends on how you frame it, eh? For, yeah, exactly it's all about the perspective and mm-hmm. but but I, I i think that when we are away from the city we can't necessarily say oh shucks we're not at the center there is no reason for us to make art there's even more reason we have we have the ability to do what we want we don't have to follow the trends we don't have to run after this elusive goal we have our own personal goal i mean because I'm actually not so far away from the city, I'm still very professional. But I'm I'm my work is not at all mainstream right now. If I were trying to make it right now, I would just be making these little geometric abstractions and not, nothing about history, nothing about beauty. It allows me to talk about beauty and not have somebody say, Oh, Richard, that's so nineteen forties or something, you know? And um, I mean, I wish there were, I mean, there are a lot of artists here, but I wish there were a few more that I was close to.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that that is a problem with being isolated. You need a community. And so I applaud you for for making a community where there isn't one. But um, on the other hand, the benefits are everything becomes art when you're away from the city. It isn't purely being in the museum, being in, in the gallery. Yes, that's great. It's fun. It's part of me, but it isn't purely that. For me, it's teaching. For me, I'm going to be really happy if I get my bid on on the mural um, because it's community. I feel like I'm much more of a rounded person, Mm. and and I think that that's actually what might be isolating for artists in the city and makes art less connective, or, or it makes it so that it doesn't connect with people quite as much.
0: Great. Thank you for ending with that. That was beautiful.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful.
0: Yeah. Thanks for just spending time with us. It's really, I really appreciate it. No problem. You'll just have to let us know where we can find you online. Yes. And Well,
1: um, the best way to find me is to look me up on my website. Okay. um, Which is Mm richardcwitten.com. I've also just managed, just been given a Wikipedia page. (laughs)
0: I that. <laughs> yeah, that was really neat. I was like, "Whoa!" That's and that the was interesting. right a guest, uh,
1: because I had no idea why somebody would get a Wikipedia page or not. Yeah, but but what had happened was that the Department of Humanities, or the in Rhode Island,
2: mm-hmm.
1: put me on a list of um, you know. I don't know, major people in Rhode Island or important mm-hmm. or interesting people of interest in Rhode Island, although that sounds yeah. bad too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and and, and yeah. they put they put the website together.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: And then you can find me on Facebook. It's it's um, look up Richard Witten, you'll get me. And I'm on Instagram now that I figured out how to put pictures up via the computer <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> via the phone. Yeah. I mean, I had never liked the idea of putting Instagram images up because they wouldn't be square, the light would be bad, and mm-hmm. so I hadn't hit them with Photoshop and fixed the parallax issues first, and, yeah. and then I found out how to do it off the Mac, and I've enjoyed it. I will mention that all of these internet things are somewhat new to me, but I am fascinated what I'm getting out of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You contacted me about this podcast through it. I was offered a beautiful residency in Maine that I'm going to do this summer. A curator has contacted me and, and came to the, the studio. Yeah, so it's terrific. It doesn't all happen all at once, but anything is good.
0: Can trickle in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that I've contacted a lot of people from high school that I haven't seen in 40
2: years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so... Thank you so much for for having me. This was this has been fun.
0: Thank you. I had lots of fun too. Lots of laughs. Yeah. I even cried at one point. You can't oh, see me. Thank goodness. But I was like, okay. It's okay. So did I. That's good. <laughs> I, I
1: hope you didn't hear to my voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, just just breathe normal, Bridget. Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest on the How You Frame It podcast, Richard.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I I'm really glad to have seen you face to face, and to have major acquaintance.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (sighs) Bye-bye.
0: Talking to Richard Witten was full of laughs and sentimental moments. The way that he describes his work is both full of methodological descriptions entwined with honest emotions. Did you feel that too? While he talked about so many important moments in his life, I kept reflecting on how he almost got eight paintings on out of some of the initial drawings he revisited almost 20 years later. Are there any projects that have been waiting for you to pick them up again? Whether it's a project or a phone call to someone that comes to mind, listen to your intuition and consider picking it back up again. The cause and effect may ripple tenfold in positive ways. Thanks for listening to the How You Frame It interview with Richard Witten. I am Bridget Rex, the creator and host of the How You Frame It podcast. You can find me at SunqueenXIV on Instagram and BridgetRex.com. Bye! Editing and production help is thanks to Erin Levine. You can find him on Instagram at aquavado underscore toast. That's the V and C of avocado switched around and then underscore toast. You can also find him on Twitter at Kobudo justice. Thanks also to John Bafus for creating our theme music. You can find him at johnbafis.bandcap.com and johnbafis.com.